Let's take our Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 4. If you're able, we'll stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter 4, let me just let let it out. We're going to talk about the rapture today. And um, when I say that, we're getting into a time in America to where you almost have to define everything. So let me make it abundantly clear. We're talking about today when the Lord comes back to get us. Who are us? Those who are saved. If you're not saved, you better get saved. Amen. Uh, so we're going to read Revelation chapter 4, and here's the great thing about today's message. If you get nothing out of it, you'll enjoy the text. <laughs> you ought to enjoy reading Revelation chapter 4, even if you don't get anything out of the message. So let's read Revelation chapter 4. We'll pray and then preach for a while. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts which had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... And we'll stop right there for just a moment. Did you notice how many times the word throne is in this chapter? I mean, it is all through this chapter. In chapter 2, verse 1, it's the throne. In chapter 4, in verse 4, it's round about the throne. In verse 5, and out of the throne. In verse 6, and before the throne. And in verse 9, uh, the beasts that are on the throne. And in verse 10, the elders fell before the throne. I think the focus of heaven might be the throne. Not your, not your mama. Not your little cabin on a hill. You can think about it all you want to. When you get there, you'll have a different mind. And you'll, I'll tell you who's going to be the focus of your attention. He's the one sitting on a throne. And you'll get plenty of time with Mama. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And so what are they all saying in heaven? Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. Let's pray. Father... I sure appreciate what we've enjoyed thus far. And pray now that you'd allow the Holy Ghost of God to preach this message. Help me to stay out of the way. And I pray, Father, that those who are here that have never been saved today 
would realize the urgency of the hour. And God, that they'd see their great need of a Savior. And that today would be the day of their salvation. But then, Lord, I pray for probably the most of the people here that are saved, that they too would be um, reminded of the urgency of their hour, that we are wasting too much time, and that we're too caught up in this world, and we ought to be looking for the next. God, would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our midst, and we'll thank and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. This message... Uh, became much more meaningful to me personally when I got the news on Friday that our brother went home to be with the Lord, Brother Holman. We could say he went home. We could say he graduated. We could say he departed. But I like it. He went home. This is not our home. No matter how much you spend on it, if you're saved, it's going to burn up. And we've got a home in heaven waiting on us. That's our real home. You know, when I preach a funeral, I often use Job 14 to preach that funeral, where it says in chapter 14, verse 10, But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? That's a good question. And then I often quote verse 14, it says, If a man die, shall he live again? But I find that question so intriguing in Job 14. It says, If a man die. Have y'all ever thought about that? Like he's not going to die? It says, if a man die, shall he live again? <laughs> well, Hebrews 9.27 says, And that as it is appointed unto men once to die, you're going to die. If the Lord don't come back, you're going to die. I got news for you. You don't know when. You don't have a clue when your appointment with death is. Oh my, Brother Holman was far too young. I've preached the funerals of babies that never entered into this world. I've preached funerals for six months old. Teenagers. People in their 20s and 30s. You have no promise of tomorrow. And so it's interesting that Job would ask it that way. If a man died. Well, you know, Job, Job's oldest book in the Bible. I don't know if you realize that or not. It, it was written before Genesis. And there are contemporaries in Job's day that, that probably knew some of the people you read about Abraham. I, I guess I said that to say this. Enoch did not die. <laughs> Enoch didn't die. He's just walking around with God and boom, gone. Elijah did not die. There's two men that didn't die. Hey, guess what? You won't believe this. You might not die. I might not die. You know, the Lord could come back before I get through this sermon. And I personally, I'm not like Jim White. Jim White was preaching here one time. He said, I want the total package. I want to experience it all. He said, I want to die. I want him to have a funeral. I want, me to put, I want him to put me six feet under so that when the Lord comes back, I get to experience everything. I'm not Jim White. I'd rather him come back right now. I'd just soon to miss my funeral. <laughs> Amen. But that was the way he was. I'm just telling you, you have no promise of tomorrow, and the Lord could come back today. We don't know when He's going to come back. So here in just a little while, we're going to talk about what is called, it's a man-made term, we're going to talk about the rapture. But first, I want to at least look at these first two verses, not the entire chapter today. We're doing an overview of the book of Revelation. It brought us to chapter 4 today. And I'm only going to talk about these two verses before we get to the subject of the rapture. So let's talk about these two verses for just a moment. The first two words say, after this. 
John, writing the book of Revelation, says, After this I look. After this. After what? Well, if you remember, he's been pretty busy. What's he been doing? Writing. He's been real busy. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus Christ speaks to John. He's on the earth, on the Isle of Patmos, according to verse 9. And in verse 11, uh, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest... What does it say? Write in a book. Hey, hey, John, what you just saw, I want you to write it down. Take good notes. Get it all. Write it down. Look at verse 19. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. What does Jesus tell him to do? First word. Right. What's he supposed to write? Here's what he's supposed to write. Number one, the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. That's where he saw the Lord in all of his glory. Write down the things that thou hast seen. Secondly, the things which are. That's chapter 2 and 3. That's the churches. That's the, that's the messages to the churches. But then he says, here's what I want you to get in verse 19. And the things which shall be what? Hereafter. We'll go back to chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking to me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Hey, John, I want you to write, number one, I want you to write the things that you've seen. Number two, the things that are. That's the seven churches. And number three, the things that are coming. That'd be chapter five and following. And he said, I want you to write it. I want you to write about what's coming hereafter. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, write. 2, 8, write. 2, 12, write. 2, 18, write. 3, 1, write. 3, 7, write. 3, 12, write. 3, 14, write. He's been doing a lot of writing. And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, after this. After all that writing. And then he says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Does that mean it's not always opened? Evidently. If it's opened, somebody had to open it. So it's not always opened. My question is, who opened it? (laughs) I find that intriguing because the Bible does say, you can do what you want to this, Psalm 8410, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Can you imagine what heaven's doorkeeper has witnessed? If there, you, you, you've heard all the jokes, you know, you get to heaven and there's Peter standing at the gate. And, and like Peter's got to give you permission. I'm not worried about that gate. I'm thankful I know who is the door. I don't have to have him open the door because he is the door and I'm in him. He said in John 10, I am the door. But it would be interesting to know what this doorkeeper might have seen over the last few thousand years. So there's a door in heaven. A literal place. It says in heaven. A literal place with a literal door from which comes a literal voice. You see, I want you to take this literally. I think people have this this sort of mystical, almost gaseous, uh, weird philosophy or idea about heaven. Listen, it's not going to be like you think, but it's going to be better than you think. And it's going to be real with real people and real things to do, places to go. You're going to have jobs to do in eternity. Before sin, God gave Adam a job. That's what Brother Jeff just taught on. 
He gave Adam something to do. You'd be miserable if you didn't have something to do, which is why some of you are miserable. I'm not thinking of any teenagers right now. It just sort of come to my mind. Amen. And so he's got a little heaven. It's a little place with a little door. And out of that place comes a literal voice. And my question is, when John hears that voice, where is he? Well, we just read it in chapter 1, verse 9. He's on this earth. He's on the Isle of Patmos. And now that voice says, Come up hither. Right? (laughs) Well, verse 2 says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Let me ask you a question. How fast is immediately? He's on the earth... He hears a voice, and immediately he's looking at a throne room. I'm going to tell you how fast. This is deep. (laughs) You better write it down. I'm going to tell you how fast immediately is. The twinkling of an eye. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. How fast is the twinkling? It's faster than a blink. How fast can you blink your eyes? A twinkling is faster. So why do I care? Well, when you die, that's how fast you're going to get to heaven. Immediately. You say, I don't believe it. I believe the Bible. In a moment, in the twinkling, we shall be with Him. So immediately it's faster than the twinkling of an eye or faster than the blink of an eye. Now, verse 2 says he's in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means he's not in the body. He has an out-of-body experience. Now, I'm intentionally using this terminology because I I hope some of you are sitting there thinking, this guy's a nut. Because I'm a Bible believer. I'm telling you, John is in the Spirit. The reason I know he's out of the body is because this body can't go that fast without burning up. You try to move this body past the speed of light, it ain't going nowhere. It's going to burn. And John moves faster than the speed of light. And he's immediately in heaven in the twinkling of an eye, and he says he's in the Spirit, which clearly means he's out of the body. Now I want you to remember verse 1, Jesus says, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now if Jesus says, I'm going to show you what's going to be hereafter, you'd think everybody would keep reading. I mean, I'd want to know the end of this thing. Jesus says, I'm going to show you what's coming hereafter. I would think every born-again child of God would start reading with attention. So why read the book of Revelation? Listen to me. So you'll know, no matter how dark and bleak it gets down here, no matter how many hospitals or nursing homes you visit, no matter how many loved ones you bury, no matter how far our nation drifts from God, at the end of the tunnel is a very bright light. There's an emerald city, a pure river, a rainbow around a throne, and on the throne a gracious king who invites us in and says we're going to live happily ever after. No matter how dark it gets down here. I thought of this when I got word that Brother Holman had gone home. Man, I'm glad I got this kind of material. This is not the end. 
Amen. Think about it, saints. Enoch got to see heaven without dying. Think about this. Enoch got to see heaven without dying. Elijah was carried up in a chariot of fire. Horses of fire. Took him up to heaven. He didn't die. Isaiah, in chapter 6 of his book, got a glimpse of the throne room. If you read your Bible, so did Ezekiel. Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven, but he said, I can't talk about it. It's unlawful to even talk about it. Do you remember what happened when Stephen was stoned? Stephen, being stoned, said he looked into heaven. Said he saw the glory of God. And Stephen said this, I saw Jesus standing. How would you like to see that right before you leave this earth? So I'm telling you, Enoch got to go in, Elijah got to go in, Isaiah got a glimpse, Ezekiel got a glimpse, Paul got a glimpse, Stephen got a glimpse, but John, he gets the inside story. He gets to go in and then write down what he saw, and I've got a hard copy of it. I don't have Paul telling me, I can't tell you what I saw. I've got John said, I'll tell you everything. (laughs) Right? So, Revelation 4 is a picture, it's a type of the rapture. It shows us that after the church age, at the end of it, after writing those seven churches, he's caught up. Praise the Lord, that's going to happen to us. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And just for fun, let's read it. I mean, I think it's fun. Um, I'm so glad that when I read it, it no longer stretches my thinking. I can remember reading things in the Bible thinking, now wait a minute. I'm glad now I read it and I don't even think about it. My faith has increased. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I have no trouble believing what I'm going to read to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant. Some are. Some are. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And you know what that means. That means they're dead. That you sorrow not. You see, they've been taught about the rapture. Paul taught them the Lord's coming. Well, now some of them had died and they're thinking, wait a minute. They missed it. And Paul's about to say, no, 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 no. They might be dead, but they didn't miss it. They're still going to be a part of it. They're going to be a part of the rapture, even if they've, de- they've died already. Here's what he says, that you saw not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? You believe Jesus died? You believe He was buried? You believe He came up? And that He's alive right now? Then what are you going to have trouble believing? <laughs> if He can get up, He can get you up. Amen. I believe in this. I mean, I just believe it's just obvious. The Bible says if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep. That'd be my mama. Amen. That'd be Miss Lila. Yeah. That'd be Miss Gail. That'd be Brother Noel. Amen. That'd be Miss Bobby. We just go on and on and on. Those that have died in our lifetime and we went to the funeral and we went to the cemetery and we put them under. But the Bible says, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Wait a minute. It says God's going to bring them with Him. I thought they were in the grave. No, that's their body. 
Their spirit's already with the Lord. So their spirit's up there and their body's down here. Hmm. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. It's not my opinion. Paul said, it's what what God says. That we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent. We're not going to go first. We're not going to get in their way. We're not going to prevent them which are asleep. Why? For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Now get it. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. All them people in the grave that were saved are coming up. You say, I thought they decomposed. God's going to have no trouble composing them. (laughs) Amen! He'll have no trouble at all! So the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, colon, then... So I don't know how long there is between them coming up and the then. You know, in Matthew 27 there was a resurrection and the dead bodies came up and walked around Jerusalem for a while. Be something if at the rapture the Lord brought the dead in Christ up and said, won't you go visit your loved ones for a few days and we'll get back together here in a little while. (laughs) I bet you'd have some believers... I bet some atheists would be turned into believers. When they looked at their loved one that they buried last week, holding their hand when they died, saw them take their last breath, and now all of a sudden they're alive. He says, then we which are alive and remain, that's me and you, if the rapture took place today, some of our dead loved ones would come up, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Isn't that a great passage? So the rapture is a real event. We just call it the rapture, and and that's our word. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. I could call it a lot of things. Jesus is coming back. He said, if I go, He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go, John 14, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's coming. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming to get us. Okay, so I believe that. So, I'll, But real quick, concerning the rapture, I'm going to give you the good news and the bad news, okay? The good news is Jesus is coming. The bad news is Jesus is coming. It all depends on you, whether it's good news or bad news. Amen! He's coming! So the skeptics tell us that the word rapture is not in the Bible, neither is the word grandfather. Neither is the word baby. Neither is the word choir, missions. The word animal is not in the Bible. So therefore, I don't believe in animals. (laughs) That'd be silly, wouldn't it? The word demon is not in the Bible. The word daddy, it's not in the Bible. What a foolish thing to say, I don't believe in it because that particular word is not there. I sometimes think people hate Christianity because our founder, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who ever promised to come back. Out of all the religion, He's the only one that said, I'm coming back. But then, of course, He's the only one to leave an empty tomb. So I guess He's got the right to say He's coming back. Amen. So He's coming back, and He's not coming to die. He's coming to get His bride. So let's talk about a handful of things. Just 
some questions, okay? Real simple. The questions I'm going to ask are what, where, who, when, and why. <laughs> Real simple. And I might have to spend a little bit of time on this tonight. Number one, what? Here's what you need to understand. Every one of you need to get this. It's the reason so many people stay confused about the Word of God. Jesus is coming to get His church. At a later time, He comes down here and lands on this earth. This event, we go up to meet Him in the air. Not the same as Revelation 1-7. This is where so many people get the Bible to contradict itself when it doesn't. It doesn't contradict itself. We don't study like we ought to. Jesus is coming to get us and we're going to meet Him in the air. The reason we use that word rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says we shall be caught up. If you study that word caught, it's in several places in the Bible. You know what it literally means in its original usage? A violent taking by force. To be snatched up. (laughs) Jesus is coming to get us. He's going to catch us away. And we're going to be with Him forever. I think probably the best biblical word we could use is the word translation. We're going to get translated. I think that it's like a transatlantic flight. Okay, or a transatlantic journey. You're going to go from one place to the other. So a Bible word we could use is like Enoch was translated. And then the next time he comes, after we get out, we're going to come back with him. And that's called the revelation. That's where He's going to reveal Himself and He's going to be seen. So let's call it the translation. At the translation, if you study 1 Thessalonians 4 and and, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, He's coming for the saints. At the revelation, if you study the book of Jude and other places, He's coming with His saints. Can I tell you something? This is pretty deep. Before we can come back with Him, we've got to go be where He's at. I can't come back with Him if I'm not there. And Revelation has a picture of Him coming back and I'm with Him. But I can't come back with Him if I'm not up there, so He's going to come and get us. You ought to be excited about that. You really should. With all of your reservations of, well, I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to own my own house, I understand that, but you still ought to get pretty excited about Jesus coming. If you're really saved, born again, washed in the blood, and if you read the newspaper once every six months, you ought to be pretty excited that the Lord's coming. So we'll call this rapture the translation or the rapture. And we'll call the next time He comes after that the revelation. And it happens in a twinkling. And I I thought of something Brother Brother Jeff rather was saying about that special group of people called the Senate. See, y'all do realize if I preach like this, and I talk about one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to appear in the air, you're going to hear a trumpet, somebody's going to say, come up hither, and you're going to go, and you're gone that a bunch of those people are going, you've got to be kidding. You Christians are just a bunch of dummies. You Christians need to get an education. You're living in the dark ages. You really believe that's going to happen? My question is, you don't believe it's going to happen? You must really be in the dark ages if you don't believe that's going to happen. Have you, have you not read? Amen! Listen! There are lawyers right now in the White House. There are professors in colleges right now. And they're working together and they keep telling you, and they've been telling you this ever since I was a little kid, they're going to balance the budget. And, and they're going to end all wars. Right? They're going to, they're going to hold back global warming. 
they're going to they're end all crime. And they laugh at us. I'll tell you who the idiots are. The ones that don't believe the rapture. The ones that don't believe He's coming. The ones that don't believe the Bible. They're the ones that need to get educated. Not us. Don't you be ashamed to believe in the Bible. Don't you worry about them laughing at you. I know who gets the last laugh. The what? It's called a translation. By the way, in 1843, over one half million people, 1843, all over the Northeast went to certain locations to wait for the Lord to come back. They had an evangelist at that time that had convinced people he was coming back. Some of them went to a mountaintop. They said they wanted to get a head start. So they literally camped out on a mountaintop. Some of them went to a cemetery. They said they wanted to be there when their dead loved ones come up. So they were excited about being in the cemetery. Some were excited about being on the mountaintop. Some of the high, I read this in an article, high society ladies gathered outside of town because they didn't want their last few minutes on earth to be around some of those commoners. So they were getting away from everybody that was sinful and dirty because they're going to go up when the Lord comes back while all these people are left behind. So you got people on the mountaintop, you got people in the cemetery, and you got people leaving the city to get away from the sinners because the Lord's coming. As in 1843... Either he didn't, or we missed it. And I can tell you, he didn't. It was in just about, what, 12 years ago, 2011, Harold Camping. Billboards all over the world, all over the country. He's coming! I forget what day in May he was supposed to come. I think it's the 21st, but he said he's coming May the 21st. I read where one guy spent over $140,000 of his life savings to advertise May 2020, uh, whatever day it was, 2011. Jesus is coming. He spent $140,000. Some people sold their homes. Some people canceled all their insurance policies. They messed up. And then there are some of you sitting here today thinking how foolish to do all that because somebody predicted a date. I'll tell you what's more foolish. To know He's coming and live like He's not. You laugh at them and you're living like He's not coming back. I didn't know there was a television series uh, I don't, I've never seen it, don't know anything about it. But it was about a so-called rapture. It was called The Leftovers. That's the title of the movie series. The Leftovers. You know what I find interesting? Is a world that doesn't believe in it spending so much time attacking it. They want what you've got. But they'd rather attack it as to admit they're wrong. The what? It's called The Rapture. The where in the air. Now, I, I've thought about this, and some of you can't get excited about this. If you want to read it, I'll let you turn with me. If you don't, you can listen to it. But it's in Psalm 18. I've, I've, this is a little bit of conjecture. I'm not going to uh, try to force you to believe my personal opinion here. But we're going up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, why are we going up to meet Him in the air? Why didn't He just call us from heaven like He did John right there in Revelation 4? We could go all the way up, couldn't we? Do you know what I know, according to the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, 
God's got a special place for the Jews. He's going to hide them. Petra. There's a special hideout. He's going to save and spare some of those Jews. He loves those people. Well, I got to thinking one time, why do we go up to meet Him in the air? I love this passage in Psalm 18. If you look at verse 9, if you want to look at it, uh, this is a picture of the Lord coming. And it says, He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under His feet. And He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, He did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness His secret place. His what? Pavilion. That's what we call that place up here on the hill. It's a pavilion. That's what we call it. Uh, His pavilion round about Him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before Him, His thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave His voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, He sent out His arrows and scattered them, and He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at Thy rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Thy nostrils, He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. The very next phrase is, The Lord rewarded me according... Hmm. Let's see. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, judgment. It is very, very possible... In Psalm uh, 27, verse 4, you can listen to these verses. The Bible says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. You'll find the same thing in Psalm 31. I'm not going to try to push this down your throat, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to meet Him in the air. That I do know. And I sort of believe there's a place that He and I and you are going to spend a lot of time together. And i got a feeling it's going to be sort of like it was with Simon Peter. He's going to say, Simon, let's me and you take a walk down this beach because I need to get you away from everybody because I've got to talk to you about some tough questions. Peter, do you love me? I got this weird feeling that the judgment is just going to be you and the Lord. We've always had these pictures of the Lord putting every bit of our life on a screen for everybody to watch or pick out all of our worst incidences and the worst things we ever did and letting everybody see it and we're going to stand ashamed. No, when we get up there, the only shame that we'll need is what He'll bring to us. You won't be worried about what Jeff Eddy or John Bockert thinks. You'll be looking into your Savior's face. And for the first time, more than ever, you're going to be ashamed because of how you failed Him. And I'm going to be ashamed because of how I failed Him. And I won't be worried about what you think about it. That'll be the least of my worries. So the what, the translation, the where, in the air. The who, who's going to be there? Well, I could be pretty content just saying me and the Lord. (laughs) I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, shall descend Himself. He's not sending anybody else on this job. He's coming to get His bride, and He's going to do it personally. 
So it's the Lord that's going to be there. Now it does say, and I find it interesting, with the voice of the archangel. Who's the archangel? That would probably be Michael. I don't think it's Gabriel. Gabriel's the talker. Michael's the fighter. And I find it interesting that he's mentioned here, or the archangel's mentioned, because in Daniel, when the Lord's getting ready to do something, Michael shows up to, to handle the devil. Just might be the devil tries to hinder this thing called a rapture, and Michael shows up and says, <laughs> Not on my watch, buddy. They're going up, ain't nothing you can do about it. We, we got Michael on our side. We got Jesus on our side. Who else is going to be there? If you study this thing, we could really go a long time this morning just talking about all that's going to be there. Everybody that's been, been born again since the Lord started His church and has died before the rapture are coming up. The dead in Christ. Isn't that what it said? Who is that? John Bunyan? Brother Brad, can you imagine sitting down for an hour and talking to John Bunyan? Brother Brad's probably read ten times more of John Bunyan than I have. That guy, my soul. George Whitfield? Uh, by the way, let me just throw this in there. There are going to be a lot of people come up at the rapture that are not Baptist. I know that scares some people. But he's coming to get his bride and they're not all Baptist. And if it wasn't for the Methodists, you wouldn't have a hymn book. <laughs> So you're going to have Whitfield and you're going to have Moody and you're going to have Charles Wesley and John Wesley and Fanny Crosby and Billy Sunday and David Livingstone and Lester Roloff and J. Frank Norris and Peter and Paul and James and John. That's pretty good company. Stonewall Jackson. Robert E. Lee. C.T. Studd. And all those people that you've buried in your lifetime that are saved. But here's the question. Who all is going to be there? Here's all I want to know right this minute. Right this minute, here's all I want to know. I'm talking about when the Lord comes back, who's going with Him? I'm looking at around 300 people. All I want to know right now is, are you going to be there? You're not going because you go to Cornerstone. You're not going because mom and daddy thinks you're saved. You're not going just because you put some money in the plate. You're not going because you read your Bible yesterday. Either you've been truly born again and Jesus Christ lives in you or He does not. And that's the only way you're going to go. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not saved, you better get saved. So how? You've got to trust Jesus. You've got to have a relationship with Him. You can't be good enough long enough. You've got to have Jesus. Amen? Amen? Boy, I would hate for the rapture to take place right now and there'll be some people sitting on these pews when we go. Well, I'd give some thought to that. The who? You say, Brother Ron, all these people that have died and are buried, is that what they call soul sleep? Yeah, but they're wrong. <laughs> it's what they call soul sleep, but it's not soul sleep. It's body sleep. The body goes to the grave, the spirit and the soul are with Jesus Christ. Right now, right this
this moment, if I drop dead of a heart attack, before you can get me to the hospital, I'll be with my Savior. Paul said it best, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What comes up for all these people that died in Christ is their body. Now another way I know that is if I could take this body, it wouldn't be heaven. (laughs) I'd ruin it in this body. Now I realize some of you would like to take yours with you. But you think more of it than we do. And you ain't lived long enough yet to realize all that work you're putting into that body, it ain't going to help. All them muscles are going to turn to fat. Everybody okay? You see, the better you feel about yourself, probably the worse you'll feel about the Lord. Don't think too highly of yourself. You are a living illustration of de-evolution. Everything goes downhill. Everybody okay? I'm just saying this for the benefit of a few people who are trying too hard. They used to call it the bedroom disease. Your chest is going to fall into your drawers. (laughs) I'm trying to help you. Here's what I know. This body's going to rot. This body's going to turn into worm food. And God's going to give me a new body. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 3, like His. And I'll be able to travel at the speed of thought. Amen. Amen. We might get into that tonight. We'll wait and see. All I'm telling you is, those who are going are those who've been saved, born again by the grace of God. And then there's other groups going, not just those that's died, the ones that are alive. There's two ways to picture this, and I think over the years a lot of us have misrepresented it. You know, there's, there's this idea that at the rapture, millions upon millions are going to disappear. And planes are going to crash, and buses are going to crash, and, you know, some churches will go on having church. Right? That's the way it's often been pictured. I mean, you can imagine in a hospital some nurse looking for her patient. In the school, some teacher looking for the students. In the home, some parents looking for their children. In the churches, some pastors looking for their members. You imagine what it would be like in the prison, Brother Jeff, if the rapture takes place? I like to envision a ball game where the pitcher <laughs> gets raptured. <laughs> or, or the tight end goes up but doesn't come down. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be like. But it might not be like the millions disappear that we've always thought about. It might be more like when Lot got out of Sodom and hardly anybody noticed. With 8 billion people on the earth and Jesus saying, few there be that find it, it may not be that noticeable. I'd like to think it'd be real noticeable at Cornerstone. I don't know how noticeable it'll be in Washington, D.C. You understand the point, don't you? I don't know what it's going to be like. I just know I'm going. And I want you to go.
What about the when? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I would be foolish if I didn't say this and we move on. People talk about the signs of the times. That's really not all that smart. Because Paul was expecting the Lord to come back in his day. And I guarantee you he walked with God more than any of us. And the truth of the matter is, signs are for the Jews. And most of the signs point to the second advent, not the rapture. The signs point to when He's going to come back and set up His Jewish kingdom. The signs are for the Jews. On the other hand, I'd be foolish not to admit that I can read the signs even if they're not for me. And while I think we get a little bit carried away with trying to guess about when He's coming, and I think we do get carried away with it, I think we would also be foolish not to recognize how bad things are getting. America's in trouble. And, if, and, and as much as I am loving this stage of life, and I love being... Rhonda and I can do things now we never could do. And I get to go see my grandkids, and I, can, I, can, I have more liberty to do some things that I feel are important to the ministry God's given me. As, as much as I enjoy this stage of life, I'd much rather the Lord come back and spare us what's coming. And, and we'd all be better off if we're saved. Let me ask this question. Why the rapture? Isn't it amazing? God actually wants to be with us. And He's going to take us to a place and get us cleaned up and get us ready for battle. I wrote down the raptures, four things about the rapture. The compulsion is, if you read about the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, right after that it says, Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, it ought to compel you to get busy because He's coming. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the benefit of the rapture is it comforts us when we have a funeral. Aren't you glad of that? We, we've not seen each other for the last time. And then in 1 John 3, when he talks about the blessed hope, he says, if you really believe He's coming, then you ought to purify yourself. If you really believe He's coming, you ought to get right. And then lastly in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I'm looking forward to His coming because there's a crown waiting on me. And then he says, but not only me, but also all those who love His appearing. He said, you ought to be motivated by getting a crown. Say, well, what am I going to do with a crown? You're going to lay it at His feet instead of being ashamed at His coming. So to close this message, and we are going to have an invitation, the next big event on God's calendar is not a presidential election. The next big event on God's calendar is not the World Series. It's not the Super Bowl. And it's not your vacation. The next big event on God's calendar is He's going to sound from heaven to all His saints, come up hither. And I personally am glad I'm not going to be a part of the leftovers. Amen. Let's all stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.